spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against, against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Keith. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so turn your, play, um, your phone on airplane mode or just turn it off. Tonight we have Peter with his last session. He's been on fire this entire time. I'm so um, excited to hear what he says. Please welcome Peter. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober. Part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, again, thank the group for having me for the last uh, 12 weeks. Uh, they go by really fast. It's uh, a real treat for me to be here. Uh, I've said this a bunch of times. Uh, sometimes it, it'll take 20 minutes to get here from Boca, and sometimes uh, I get here in two weeks, uh, depending on 95. Um, but it's worth it, because as soon as I walk in, actually, as soon as I drive up, um, it, it's kind of like I'm home. It's Everything's cool, and I can breathe again. So I really uh, enjoy being here and getting to share. I, I am better uh, around AA uh, than I am anyplace else. Um, when I'm in publics, when I'm shopping or whatever I'm doing, it's like kind of mingling with those civilians, and it's an interesting walk watching them operate. Um, but it's just something I'm, I'm most comfortable uh, when I'm in an AA meeting. I'm better around you. And I've said this many times that uh, <clears throat> there's three places I'm most comfortable in AA, when I'm in church or when I'm with my wife. Those are the three places that I, I just feel right and, uh, and I, I get out there and, you know, you do what you do out there. It's a very interesting world we live in. Um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps, um, you know, the great thing about step 12, it, it's, it's a guarantee. It's promised to us. It's probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest promise in the big book, right, in the 12 steps. We have all the promises that we look from the first portion of the book, and this one is telling me you've had it. It's going to happen and what to do with it. And uh, this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism is not going to happen to a guy like me uh, by just going to meetings. Albeit meetings are, are crucial. They're one side of our triangle, this fellowship, uh, a third of our legacy. Um, but just going to meetings, uh, I'll get bored. Uh, the mind is still in charge. I'll flatline in here and look for other ways to deal with my uncomfortability, my disease, uh, my restlessness, and uh, my alcoholism will find me again in other areas, sex, food, money, gambling, whatever it might be. Um, but something uh, miraculous happens to many of us on, on this journey, and, and that is this, this, this soulful walk, this, this, this journey, if you will, towards God, albeit there's no proximity between us and God. And for me, uh, what happened, uh, I didn't know it. I don't think anyone does know when it's about to happen or it's in, it's, it, we're embarking on this new path. And it's the day what feels like the worst day of our life, and that's usually the last drink day. When everything is, 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 it comes crashing down on us, we've, I felt crushed. 
And there are really no adjectives to adequately describe what happened to me uh, the day God gave me to start this new life, which was June 23rd of 1988. Uh, I can say words. Bill says uh, uh, no one, uh, uh, loneliness and uh, quicksand stretched around me in all, in all directions or something like that. And that's probably not even how he felt. He probably felt a hundred times worse than that. And abandoned, alone, panic, weak, uh, beat up, ashamed, humiliated, embarrassed, hate towards me, all of it. Who do I call? What to do? What do I, where do I go? I wish I was dead. No, I don't want to die. All of it a hundred times at once. And it's, it's just coming at me like a tsunami. And it left me feeling really weak and really feeble. And I was weak at that point, 130 pounds. I had hepatitis that is just ravaging me. So if anyone's ever had that, you feel beyond anemic. You can't even get out of a chair. And, I, and I'm, I'm dying of this thing that I have called alcoholism. So I don't, I don't have the strength to move. I, don't, I just need, it. I need AA to be dominoes right now and deliver recovery because I can't go anywhere. There were no cell phones back then. Um, I work in treatment. I can't believe how many dopings and crackheads come in still having a cell phone. I, I, don't, I can't identify with these. I would have sold it first thing. How much? Uh, so I didn't have a cell phone to call anyone, to text anyone. There were pay phones on the street, and I'm completely out of money. So it's all hitting me. But we live life forward and understand it backwards. And for me, it was necessary for that to happen to that extent, with that kind of power, that kind of force, to get my attention. Because God will use everything and everyone to get my attention. He'll use people, places, and things to get my attention. And there I was, uh, on the floor of a hallway, not knowing I was about to get on this path. Um, the desperation had to scream louder than the ego, and that can happen while I'm in AA too, because we can bottom out. We can have a second surrender or a third surrender to life while we're in here. That's happened to me. When the desperation screams louder than the ego, for a brief moment, uh, the ego gets crushed, grinded into dust, and it creates, if you will, just to give you a visual, a vacuum. And in that vacuum, God's light finally gets in. And it's the first time, although I, I maybe didn't identify it as God, but it's the first time I'm hearing a different voice. And it was to do this or call that person, go here, uh, 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 something like that. It was a, a set of directions, if you will. Now, that voice, that godly voice was always talking to me. God doesn't love us. If we change, God's always love us so that we change. And when we do change, he continues to talk. And part of the spiritual awakening that, unfortunately, we don't hear a lot about it, is the, the, the continuing conversations God's having with us at all times. I just don't hear it because I'm paying attention to things I think are really important. I'm not pausing enough. I'm not meditating enough. I'm not listening for it in other people. I'm not getting solitude and not communing with God. One of the most important practices, communing with God. So I can start to hear this voice. Or perhaps that voice, when it's talking to me during the day, I don't like it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be just satisfied with status quo. I need a big, fat bank account. I don't have it, so I'm not listening to God's voice and be grateful for what you got. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear what I want to hear. But this thing is always going on. And so uh, I, I look back on it now, and some of the things that happened to me on that day 
where I can't even put on my own shoes without a bunch of people helping me. That's how hopeless I was. I started to hear something. And I made a plea to God, please take me from this. I don't want to die. And then this, this thing happened. It didn't feel godly, sound godly, feel godly. I didn't smell godly. But I was listening. And the very first voice that I, the, the very first action I took was to get up off this floor and go to a pay phone and call my dad. He's the only guy on the planet that's going to come get me. And I had to call him collect because I had no money. I didn't have the strength to panhandle. Now I need a drink. I didn't, I, not that I want to drink. I need a drink because I'm, I'm vibrating. My belly's falling apart. But I made it to a phone. I, 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 I hesitated. I can't call him. And I went to another. I can't. And I just gave up. I don't remember most of the day. But that later that day, my dad found me standing on a street corner because he came looking for me. So the prayers are always answered. <clears throat> Those sincere prayers. I don't know if God's going to hear me if I say, please, I need to hit that $2 billion Powerball. And then somebody in California wins. They go, see, God doesn't love me. But I think he hears, those he hears all, all of it. But I, I, if I can be so bold, say God's going to pay attention to the prayers that are sincere. He'll say yes, no, and wait. They're always answered. But that, that dialogue, that conversation God having with us, or I'll use me, with me, is happening. It's happening now. It happens when I get in the car. It happens when I drive home. It happens when I put my head on a pillow and when I wake up. And it's happening all the time. I need to be still enough in here because this, this, I don't know how quiet this will ever get, but this will begin to override the head where I can listen. Okay, God, what do you got for me? What do I do? And I pause and sometimes it'll come out of a newcomer's mouth. Sometimes it'll come out of a sponsor. Sometimes it'll be out of a speaker. And sometimes God will just lay something on your heart. And these are some of the things that happen to a guy like me in Alcoholics Anonymous as part of the spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps. I don't know if I'd get that. If I, I don't even know if I'd be here. I was just hanging around meetings. I probably would have bailed a long time ago. Or I've been one of those cats who come in here and have a million untreated things going on out there, and I play the game for one hour in here. I don't ever want to be that guy. No home group, no sponsor, no sponsees, just, just hanging around. But God has got me right in the middle of all of this. So I'm very grateful I was open to hearing the message. And on page, if I can remember what page... In our big book, it says, on page 102, it says, it gives me an assignment. It says, your job, my job, is to be at a place where I can be of maximum helpfulness to others. That's my job. I need to be at a place where I can be of maximum service to others, helpfulness to others. Where is that? Well, the first place I need to be in Alcoholics Anonymous. And not, not like a, a, a guy who passes through here like once a week. I need to be here. Home group means it's my, I mean, it's AA meeting started in people's houses. So we're going to go to Mike Chase's. We're going to have the meeting in Mike Chase's home tonight. That's where the group is meeting. It's the home group. That's how we got that name. So I need to, I'm home a lot. I need to be here a lot. So I need to be in a place to do my job, to give it away, but conversely, I need to be in a place 
when someone passes it on to me. I can't be in a casino expecting to hear the 12 steps or in a brothel expecting to be spiritual or watching things on a computer that I don't want anybody else to see expecting to get a spiritual message out of that. So the way I need to, my job is to be in a place to pass this message on, to be helpful to others. I need to be here to get it because it is reciprocal. My sponsor calls it pitching and catching. I mean, I'm speaking tonight. Somebody else will be speaking tomorrow night or next week. And that's how we do this. I call you for help. You call me for help. We've got, I have gotten bigger than the wheel. It's just a spoke in the wheel. It goes on to say, uh, I should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand, an errand to be helpful to other people, not to get some vicarious pleasure. If I get a call, Joe's in a casino, he's drunk, we got to go get him. Then I go to the casino and I have a job to do to get Joe to a detox. But I'm not hanging around. And I'm talking about going on vacation and you go to play in the casino and you play roulette or whatever, whatever your thing is. I'm not here to judge. That's, that's, I can't give an opinion on that. But I'm not hanging out after a meeting on a Friday night and going to the Hard Rock and hanging around the casino and seeing if I'm going to get lucky or maybe I'll gamble tonight. That's not what this is talking about. Or maybe I got to go into the worst parts of town. I've done this a bunch of times because we got to go get someone. I've never gotten hurt going into the worst parts of town in some really scary buildings to go pick someone up, put them in the car, and take them to a detox. Because my book says God's going to keep me unharmed because I'm doing his work. He's not going to shoot the me- let the messengers get shot. There's a great story in, in Scripture, and I'm going to screw this up, but this, 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 this fellow, this soldier, was given a command to go see this king who was treating his people terribly. And he says, you're going to go there and you're going to confront him. No one does that. He's, but you have to do this. This is the road you're going to take. Don't divert. Don't stop to eat with anyone. Your job is to go from here to there without stopping. And this is the road you're going to take. And he does. And he's successful in his mission. On the way home, he decides to hang out with some folks. And he's devoured on the way home. He wasn't listening to the message he was given. So what my book is telling me, wherever I'm going to go to help another drunk, I'm going to be safe and protected. And I go with a few people. On the 12-step call, I've gone into some flea bag motels. And I stop at the front desk. I don't just go to the room. And I let who's ever the clerk, who usually the clerks look like they need to be here too, by the way. But uh, who I am who's with me, and what, why we're here. And they usually take a photograph of my driver's license, which I really insist, so you know who I am. I'm not one of these vagabonds running around the place getting high. And usually if I tell them you got someone who's about to OD in your room, they say, okay, I take you to the room because they don't want the kind of headaches, but everything's above board, and that's how I do it. When I get into that room, usually one of us check the bathroom under the bed or the closet because I don't know what's in there, look for weapons. Sometimes you do a 12-step call, you just walk in, the drunk is sitting there, put him in the car and you go, it's easy. I remember doing one when I first moved down here in Boca Raton and the drunk was irate, he threw all of us out and screamed at his wife. It didn't go so good. So there's a tremendous promise right here, keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep me unharmed. What a tremendous promise to do his work. 
but I need to be willing to do his work. And at the beginning of the chapter, I won't read too much, it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics, another tremendous promise, immune from drinking. I could think of a lot of remedies, especially I'm in treatment, they're always coming up with some new pill, new form of therapy, something to keep us sober. And my book says, once I've had the spiritual awakening, if I work with others on an intense level, I'm immune from drinking. I've been recovered from a single hope of state of mind and body. It says it works when other activities fail. And I've been in places over the last 35 years where I've had my back against the wall financially, career-wise, the loss of passing of my dad. You know what I've done? And sometimes I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm on the phone working with the drunk, and when they call, I said, thank God somebody's calling. Let's hear the inventory. I mean, the day after my dad uh, passed away, my, my, the guys I sponsored would call me on their call time. They didn't know. Hey, Pete, good morning. I got some inventory for you. I want to say, hey, wait a minute. I'm important today. What's the inventory? I need to get the hell out of my own way. Intensive work with other alcoholics. That is not taking someone to a meeting. It's a nice gesture or giving them my phone number. That's a nice gesture. Intensive work is we're going to sit down, whether it's in person, uh, 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 people meet sponsors on, like, uh, what do they call it, Zoom now, uh, or video conferencing, or in person, and we're going we're gonna to go through the steps, whether it's line by line, or we're going to give you a sign, whatever it looks like. There are different flavors in sponsorship, but we're going to go through the book. And in a short time, you'll be doing this, the same with someone else. It says you, we can help uh, when uh, others can't carry this message to other alcoholics. We can secure their confidence when others fail. It's unbelievable if most religious uh, uh, communities, most treatment center uh, communities send us here. Because they know they can only reach so far. The ones who are, are, are humble enough to say, you need to get around those people because whatever they're doing there is going to work for you, I took you as far as I can go. Alcoholics Anonymous, the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. I have forgotten this a few times when I'm working with people. I've gotten impatient. I put unrealistic expectations on Joe, who's got two weeks back. He should be into the concepts already, you know, things like that. He should be appreciative of AA's rich legacy. I, I have forgotten that from time to time over the years. I've gotten much better at it. One of the things I run into, and this probably six and seven talk, is uh, uh, my impatience where when someone sits in front of me, I'm expecting them to have the same love and appreciation, enthusiasm, and passion for Alcoholics Anonymous that me and some of my friends have, and some just don't, or they're not there yet and I need to be patient with them, yeah? Life will take on new meaning. Oh, my Lord, have mercy, what an understatement. Alcoholics Anonymous has given me my life meaning, purpose, direction, all, 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 all driven from God, all coming from God. But it's like our week centers around my wife and I, uh, what we're doing, you know? And a whole chunk of what we're doing is what meeting we're going to. What conference are we traveling to? 
what diner we go into after the meeting. <laughs> to watch uh, people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. Uh, I, I remember speaking to someone a couple of years ago about this, and I says, uh, other than my brothers and my immediate family, um, my brothers are on a spiritual path, but they're not AA guys. Um, other than that, uh, everyone I uh, associate with is in recovery. I don't hang out with non-AA folks, to be honest with you. Some are CA folks too, but my whole life is this. And he said, well, that's not a good thing. You need to find friends outside of AA. And my reply was, why? God's putting these people in my life. I, I have a common bond with them, uh, a, common, a lot of common stuff. Why would I want to do that? So I'm grateful the way God has set it up. I mean, if I go into my phone and look at all the phone numbers, every single person except for my immediate family is in recovery. There's some who are out there. Some have passed on. They're still in my phone because I'm too lazy to delete them. But everyone's in recovery. We know you don't want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. And just to, just to amplify that, there's a, a story, there's a book called The Soul of Sponsorship. Uh, it's about uh, Father Ed Dowling. And I think it's the opening story. He talks about uh, um, his first encounter with Bill Wilson. It's an unbelievable story uh, uh, when you see the lessons in it. Bill Wilson is uh, obviously co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's got five years sober, about. And you would think the co-founder of AA, with five years sober, has a nice penthouse apartment you know, on Park Avenue, has a nice ride, uh, is gainfully employed, financially stable, and all is well. And Bill was suffer from of depression, first of all. But with five years uh, sober, Bill's in a really bad spot. People thought he was drunk. He was living in a clubhouse. We have our uh, big clubhouse. We have uh, the 12-step house. And we have some, we have Crossroads, and we have Central House down on Delray. It's a big clubhouse. They've been around forever. And they're wonderful places. But imagine starting this whole thing and you have to go to the, the chairperson or the board of that clubhouse and say, that room upstairs, I like to rent it. I have nowhere else to live. With five years sober, you're the co-founder of this whole thing. And my wife's working in some department store so we can make ends meet and we could buy food. And that's where, he was, that's where he was living, on the second floor of the 24th Street Clubhouse in New York. And when you read this story, he had like uh, wooden cartons uh, for dresser drawers and his nails in the wall to hang his coat. And he's sleeping on a bed that's too small. He was a tall guy, and his bed, feet were hanging off the bed. It's a cold November night. It's pouring down rain. He's going, this is, this is it. This is my life. How'd I get here? And the caretaker came up, and he said, Bill, there's someone here to see you. And, and Bill doesn't really want to talk to anybody at this point. Not another drunk. I don't need to anybody's stuff. I don't need to inventory. I don't want to take anyone through the steps. I don't want to sign any autographs. Just leave me alone. And what does Bill say? Send them up. And who it is, he doesn't know. It's Father Ed Gowling. And Father Ed Gowling wanted to know about the 12 steps because it sounded like a practice that I can't remember what it's called that he was familiar with. And he says, I, he, he was there to learn. 
He was very curious. And Bill hears this, this clicking coming up the steps. Father Dowling had arthritis. He walked with a cane. He hears this guy walking up with a cane. He's oh, no, what did I do now? But he couldn't deny someone waiting for him. This is the moral of the story. As bad as he felt, he said, send him up. And he sees Father Ed Dowling with these big blue eyes, and uh, they begin to talk. And what happened with Bill that night, Bill did basically a fifth step with Father Dowling sitting on the end of the bed. And Bill was never the same. What if Bill says, I don't want to talk to a drunk tonight? I don't know if Bill would have drank. I don't know what would have happened. But he was in a bad spot. And to survive the certain trials, the low spots ahead, our book says, work with somebody. My wife's sponsor says, go help somebody. After they're done with their inventory, after they're done with their conversation, she says, go help somebody. When my dad passed, my sponsor says, your job now is to be of maximum service to your family, help another drunk. That's what you need to do right now, to work with others. And that's what Bill did. And he became, his father down became pretty much a spiritual guide for the remainder of his days. It's a tremendous story and a great lesson for me because there's plenty of times when that phone rings and I just, I, I, I got nothing left. <clears throat> I'm tired. I just work with three people or maybe I have financial problems, whatever it might be. But I pick up the phone. And I'm always better after the call's over anyway. It's easy to take a call when you're ready for that new guy and you're all lathered up. I got a new guy. We're going to walk through the book and it's very exciting. And sometimes on a Sunday night, at maybe 11 o'clock at night, I don't really feel like picking up the phone, but I do. In fact, I never turn my phone off. I'll put it on silent sometimes. But I never turn my phone off. I can't. Besides, if it's a family member who needs to speak with me, because I have a, a youngest brother who, who battles some mental health stuff, and he's called me many times late at night, and I'm glad I had my phone near me. But it might be a drunk on the other end of the phone, and I remember making those 11 o'clock phone calls or 2.30 in the morning phone calls to a drunk saying, I can't believe I'm calling this person, and they'd pick up the phone. I remember I said, did I wake you? He said, yeah, but that's okay. People sleeping at 2 o'clock in the morning, that's what I do, but it's really okay. So I don't turn my phone off. So having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps, uh, uh, talks about practicing these principles and all our affairs, uh, passing this message on as three parts of this. I hopefully, by now, I have more principles than I do affairs. In fact, uh, I'm not going to get involved with affairs that don't look spiritual because God has given me some principles to walk with. And if I'm staying completely out of my mind, that becomes a non-issue. And I'm listening to my mind and someone becomes an issue. I'm in a negotiation with God. I'm trying to, I'm trying to justify, rationalize, and minimize some stuff that I'm not going to be too pleased about if it hits the front news. So I need to lean into God some more because God has given me enough soul food and spiritual muscles to avoid that stuff. But the mind and the ego is always creating an environment, a climate, to make me believe I'm separate from that power which I can never be separate for. Now I'm tempted to all of those things. I yield to temptations. I don't want to work with the drunk. I got things to do. Monday night after group, it's Monday night football. You take them. I'm going home to watch my home team. That doesn't work that way. If big, big Book says not work with others, I'm going to be inconvenienced. They didn't, they didn't make it easy. They didn't say, you'll never be inconvenienced. And it wasn't a, a bait and switch. 
you're going to be inconvenienced. Bill even talks about how someone committed suicide at his house. That's a true story. Somebody's going to puke on your, the back seat of your car when you got to take him to, it's happened to me. You're going to put the drunk in the car, they're going to reek. Why they put him in my car? It's a new car. It's going to take two months to get this out of here. Remember Seinfeld, they can't get the aroma out of the car? I had drunks in there that created that for me. Who else is going to go get them? The police? They'll lock them up. Call your therapist at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're not getting them. Unless you're going to pay. We have a good policy. Call the treatment center. It's 2.30 in the morning. What's your policy? No policy. Go to Bark. Click. I mean, it's just the way it works. You call one of us. We say, we're on our way, and I'm bringing a few with me. We're on our way. Where are you? And we come get you. It's a great thing, the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous. So for me, I've learned, there's mechanics. I need the mechanics. They're important. The tools right here to bring me from point A to point B. But once I get that, what am I doing with it? Am I becoming a big book, uh, a mechanic now that every other word in my mouth is a quote of the book? Or am I learning how to live life on God's terms? Have I been transformed or I just have a lot of information? Am I excited about God? Am I passionate about God? Am I excited about AA? Am I passionate about AA? Am I reading other spiritual books because I love the effect produced by it? Not to come back and regurgitate it to you because I just like what it does to me. And my point of view shifts and I get new truths delivered to me. I start to live what the 11th step talks about, having conscious contact. I'm awake to God. I'm leaning in. I'm listening. For me, that's part of a spiritual walk. I'm not a knucklehead out there until I walk in the door and I pretend I'm spiritual. What you see here is what you'll get out there. Unless the Yankees lose to the Red Sox, I'm a lunatic. <laughs> what does it look like? And for me as a sponsor, um, I still expect the guys I sponsor to want this as much as I do. And many of them don't. I have a bunch of men right now that uh, they're working. They're trying. They're making tons of mistakes, but I don't care about mistakes. My dad just told me that's why I put erasers on pencils. We're all going to make mistakes. But they're trying. They're chopping wood and carrying water. I had a guy call me one time, and um, I said, I says, this is Peter. And he says, Pete, this is Joe. I saw you speak at a meeting. I want you to sponsor me. I said, who is this guy? <laughs> and he was very, very forward and bold. He says, uh, let me tell you what I want. Uh, he said, I want you to give me a new experience. I've been through the steps. I, I have a sponsor. I sponsor a bunch of men. I want you to give me a new experience. You can see this phone call lasted about 10 more seconds. I said, what you want, and part of me for saying this, my friend, is your ego stroked a little more. That's what you want. You want some more information to go back and say, Pete Marinello is your sponsor. You learn some new things and, and, and give these great tidings to other people. You're not looking for a new transformation. And then we talked about humility, which he was obviously lacking. He never called me back. I don't miss him. I prefer, and it doesn't always happen, the guys who call you and say, listen, I'm in trouble. I have five years, 10 years, I got two days back. I need help. They're not dictating the walk. I need a new experience. Some people sponsor to just take you through the steps and that's it. 
I don't do that, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but when they're done, I need to, they need to, we need to walk together now. It's like taking two the steps, have a nice life, I'll see you around. That's mechanical. This is very mechanical. The way I've been brought up in Alcoholics Anonymous is we work. Take you to the steps, and we, then we, we live life together. And now I may have been the teacher and you were the student, but at some point we're shoulder to shoulder, and I'm reading my inventory to you. It's a brotherhood or a sisterhood. When in betweenhood, that starts. Alcoholics Anonymous. My very first sponsor was a guy in Brooklyn, and... Uh, he wasn't well uh, liked, nor was he appreciated, because where I got uh, my first real good dose of AA in the part of Brooklyn, no one was doing the book, except this guy and a couple of people in my home group. They weren't very popular. When he would walk in to take a speaking commitment, half the room would leave. And he didn't you know, bombard anyone with the book. He was just coming out of the book. And a lot of closed discussion and sharing and things like that. And that, that's fine. But he was just coming from a different place. But he sounded very much like the folks I met in Minnesota. And they talked about living in the three sides of our triangle. I don't know what that meant. It just they looked good and sounded good. They were employed. They just had a glow about them. So I knew this, this was the target I had to hit. And uh, this gentleman, when I approached him, had me do some work before he even sponsored me. He didn't just say yes. He said, you need to do some things. And he was just trying to see maybe how desperate I was. But he said, I want you to read the book from the preface to page 164. You have to remember anything. It's not a test. He's looking for the word must and should. I've never heard this before. I thought you ask a guy to sponsor you, you're on board. And if, they, if that's what you do, that's great. This is how he did it. He said, I'll give you a week to do it. I had three days. All I did was read. I called him up. He says, you think you're an alcoholic? I said, yes. Do you want help? I said, yes. Are you willing to go to any lens to get help? I said, yes. Okay. You just gave me spiritual consent. Now I can work with you. My second sponsor, Mark Houston, said to me, my job as a sponsor is to get you independent of me as quick as possible, dependent upon God. I'm just a, I'm just a vessel here. I'm not your God. And Mark passed away, and I, I was sponsored by a guy named Gary Brown. And somewhere in there, there was a guy, Don P., who worked with me. And this other guy, Joe H., and all of them except for Gary are gone. There was another guy in Staten Island, Joe K., he passed on. These were great men who spent time with me in person on the phone and weren't afraid to shake it up to wake it up and call me on my nonsense. I remember Mark on the phone me. I'm reading some inventory. You know how I read out inventory when you're new? You read the inventory, then you tell the real story? Well, if they didn't do this and if they didn't do that, and Mark says, I didn't ask you to gossip about that person. I asked you to read me the inventory. He stepped right on my ego. They talked to me about the importance of uh, our 12 traditions and having a home group and serving a home group and, and just being a servant, having a servant's heart. Every one of them told me I can do nothing on my own, but I needed to have God. My current sponsor is Bob Azan from St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm currently sponsoring about a dozen men. I've had more than that. It's way too many. There's times where I just had a couple, way too little. 
I thought if I had four, I'm good. If I had eight, I'm good. If I had 15, I'm good. Then there's, you know, a mark on the belt. How many sponsors you got? 300. Okay, you're doing good. Uh, there's not enough time to sponsor that many people. I just let God bring them to my door. And I stand ready. I stand by the door. Sam Shoemaker talked about that. There's one more thing I, I wanted to share with you. Um, yeah. On page 92, uh, page 92 and 96 I want to do, it says, on page 92 it says, if you are satisfied, he or she is a real alcoholic, we can begin to dwell on the hopelessness feature of this malady. That's an important qualification that as a sponsor, am I satisfied Joe sitting in front of me is a real alcoholic? I've had folks where I said, listen, come here. No one's throwing you out. We'll never throw you out. I don't care what you've done as long as you behave in here. But listening to you, you're purely drugs. Maybe going to another fellowship a couple of times a week would be really a help to you to identify, to hear that stuff. The willing go and the unwilling don't. And they play merry-go-round in here. In and out and in and out and in and out. So that's part of my job. I sponsored one guy in New York, and I heard his whole first step, and I said, did you ever drink? He never drank. And I saw one of my friends there. He says he's not an alcoholic. He likes AA. We don't throw him out, but you can't really sponsor. A guy's not an alcoholic. He's not even a drug addict. He just likes being here. Nobody throws him out. He says, hey, I got a desire to stop drinking. That was true. He doesn't want to drink. We can't say you got to go. Might be killing him and doing that. I don't know what's sitting there, but I heard a whole first step, and I said to him, I'll call him Joe. Joe, I'm not the guy for you. Somebody can, I'm not the guy for you. This is a really important page. Page 96 uh, talks about, well, I'll read it. Um, because I got into all these jams, and I had to learn from the book, don't be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. I'm sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what I have to offer. I think Bill was having a, a little sense of humor there, that they have to be really desperate to come see me. I chase down drunks. You got to get this. You got to get to this meeting. You got to go through the book. Seeing guys drinking on a street corner, get in the car. That's not my job. Because when I do that, I can't hear the three banging on the door say, we'll do anything to get sober. I can't hear them. And how much of my ego is wrapped in getting that guy sober, thinking I'm going to get him sober. I'm going to get them through the book. Back to Sam Shoemaker, I stand by the door. And sometimes it's heartbreaking because you have a guy in front of you and decides he doesn't need you anymore or AA and leaves and dies. And sometimes people, they just find a different way and they find another sponsor. And they're so afraid to tell me, Pete, I'm going to get sponsored by Joe instead of you. That's great. I always looked at myself as this, I think they call those buoys in the water, you know? And someone falls off the boat and they swim to me and they hold on for a while, they hold their breath, they catch their breath till they can get enough strength and swim to shore. And sometimes that's all it is. And some guys just stay with you a while. I've had guys stay with me for many, many years. A kid down in uh, uh, Bo uh, Deerfield Beach has been with me since 2012. You know? And some come by and then they, they disappear. But it's all good because what they don't know, and I hope one day they do find out, that all the work that I tried to help them with, they kept help keep me sober. Sometimes that drunk you're working with, he's got two days back, uh, needs a shower. 
needs a meal, uh, isn't pleasant uh, to look at, and has got language that's worse, that that drunk is saving my life tonight. I pray never get too big. Or think I'm immune from my own addiction. I was in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I used to go to meetings in Bay Ridge, great community down there. And um, there was a big meeting on a Sunday, 2.30 meeting. It was packed. And uh, you had the guys come in from under the Verrazano Bridge. They're coming packs, two, three, four of them. They wanted coffee and cookies. And they used to come to this other meeting called the Ovington Group. And they wanted coffee and cookies. They, they reeked so bad. They were so beat up. They pass out in the sun and come in all blistered up from the sun and things like that. And I watch, not everyone there, but I watch people go, oh my God, they're drunk. I said, well, where else are they going to go? They can't go to detox. They have no money. They can't go to treatment. They have no money, no insurance. Where are they going to go? Come here. And I never forget, my sponsor gave me a little elbow, and I poured a cup of coffee, and I got some chocolate chip cookies. I walked over to the table in the back they were sitting at, and I sat down with them. And I'm just trying to strike up a conversation. And people are looking at me like I'm, like I'm, it's blasphemous what I'm doing. But I'm still here, and I would do it tonight. I've done it my whole life in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the way God has made me, but you did it for me all the time. And when I'm, you know, I'm self-supporting through my own contributions, and how many times you go to a diner, you got that new guy, no, you don't, he, we know he doesn't have money. Or that new girl. And you tell them you're with us now. We're, we're, we're paying for you. You have to tell them that. But you eat. We got it. Because we know you have nothing, right? We know that. So for me, practicing principles in all my affairs, I have to walk on water. I have to part the seas. I have to sound spiritual. Anyone knows me, I like to curse once in a while. I don't have anything to do with it. It's about taking these principles wherever I go. I'm consistent. Friend, my male friends around me know never to womanize in front of me. It's unacceptable. And I've been around ladies who try to, you know, throw the little, you know, the batting of the eyes and see how much they can reel in, and that wall goes up right away. That's not happening. That's not happening. My friends know we don't do that. That doesn't make me better than or less than it's just have some principles to live by. Besides the fact I'm in love with my wife, so it's not, we're not doing that. And if someone's talking about doing things that are legal, they're not going to do that in front of me. I'm not that strong. I'm not that tough. They just know there's a line. You don't go past this with Peter. It's just principles in all my affairs. And I'm still the guy, thank you, God, when I see the old lady in Publix, I let her go first, and if she needs any help to the car. That part they usually get leery about. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I, this is not about me. I want to be clear. This is about God and AA, the way it's made. Because I was the guy, if you put your wallet down or your phone on that chair, I'm taking it. And I hope you look for it. That's what I was. So if, I was doing, I, every once in a while I get invited to the 12-step house, and we go to that diner around the block. I forget what it's called. Yes, What's it called? Yes, That's the joint. Okay. And so we go, a bunch of us, and one night we're sitting there, and there's a couple sitting there, and oh my God, my heart broke. They're a couple. They're almost a homeless. They might be. And they both were nursing a cup of coffee each. It was killing me, because I got food in front of me. 
I saw the waitress who was wait waiting on him, and I says, bring them food. Give me the tab. The lady looked at me and said, just, just bring them any. Bring them burger or something. And many times, people like that, I'm in a diner, and I'll just quietly, I don't know who these people are. I'll tell the waiter, just give me the check. God has given me a couple of dollars in my pocket, not much. But it doesn't have to be just folks in Alcoholics Anonymous. Usually I get to the top of Sunrise, the exit on 95, and there's a homeless guy there. It takes me two minutes to take a $5 bill out. And my wife and I usually, without putting ourselves in danger, is like, what's your name? I'm Fred, I'm Mark, I'm Joe. I'm Peter, this is Marion. We're going to an AA meeting. I'm just give them the money. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I got a good idea, but it's none of my business. Because that homeless person, a person in a diner, is one of God's kids too. And I always think about this when it comes to homeless, why I'm moved to practice principles in that affair. Because in most cases, not all, most cases, when that homeless person, the person who reeks, got some mental health issues that are not being addressed or can't get off the crack pipe, whatever it might be, when that baby popped out of mama the first few weeks, the first few months, the cutest baby in the block. And something happened. They wound up there. My job is to scoop them up and give them a little dignity and respect. For, for me, that's part of practice and principles and all my affairs. Not just an hour. This is easy to do it here. It's only an hour. I could pretend for an hour. We're all great actors. But God sees me the other 23. And at first I did it because I knew God was seeing me the other 23. Now I just do it because that's the way God has made me. We can talk on and on about the great works of God in Alcoholics Anonymous alone because we would have forgotten folks, the throwaways, the broken toys, the ones who never fit, the ones who just never made it. Even when we made it financially, we still never made it. We're still walking around people. We're not okay. And God put us all together to lean on each other to heal us. And we share our woundedness, we share our brokenness when we tell our stories, and we share the solution to the brokenness and the how to heal, and that's always the 12 steps which takes me to God. This is the greatest pep rally for God. Alcoholics Anonymous is a bigger pep rally for God than some of our religious communities. Because we don't just go our individual ways, as the book says, when Mass is over. When this meeting's over, we'll probably, a bunch of us will see each other tomorrow night at another meeting or come to our homes, it's ongoing. This is great work, it's all in God's palm. Where would I be without Alcoholics Anonymous? Where I wouldn't have my family, I would have never met my wife, so many dear friends. I know Johnson, so I'm down here now. That's many years. What a great walk. And if anyone's new, or perhaps if you're not new, you, you, you haven't touched this yet, doesn't mean you're less of an AA member, but just something to consider. The sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, because they are sacred. It's hollowed ground. I need to dress the part when I get here and give AA its respect. And if you haven't gotten there yet, that's okay. But I hope one day you get there. When I walk into meeting with AA, I'm stepping on hollow ground here because lives are reborn and resurrected for fun and free in the sacred rooms called Alcoholics Anonymous. Most of the conversations in our meetings are going to eventually be talking about God. He's very happy hearing his name mentioned. It pleases him. 
the sincere testimony, this is what God has done for me. Place me in a room called Alcoholics Anonymous with a bunch of other broken toys. It makes no sense. The whole walk in Alcoholics Anonymous makes no sense. This makes no sense. If we pull the civilian out and say, this is, this is my life, this is what I've done, where I've been, how many times I've been locked up, I was a homeless bum, but I go to this place... I found God, I found dignity, I found respect, I gifted charity, I'm self-supporting for my own contributions, I've gone back to school, I raised a family, my family invites me in, and they take a look at us, how impeccable you are, I says, you're lying. It's impossible. There's no way this can happen. There's no way that a drunk can show up at this meeting at maybe 5 or 5.30 to set it up like this every single Thursday and then stick around to break it down every single Thursday and do it again next week, and we know who's going to be here. In fact, when we don't show up, what happened? How come they're not here? I never showed up. I made promises. I broke them all the time. I can't. I got home group tonight. I gotta get ready for home group. Hey, I gotta get off the phone now. I gotta get to, I got a commitment, I gotta move. It makes no sense. But here we are, chopping wood and carrying water. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't find it. Aren't you lucky I can't find it? <laughs> oh well. I was gonna share something and close, and I guess God doesn't want me to read it. Um, Ah, here we go. I probably have read this here before. For me, it just sums up everything we, I get to do here. And the author writes this. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter and a servant to all in need. And for me, that's my Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I thank the group and all of you for having me. That's all I got. Peace. Excuse me. Uh, Let's uh, thank Peter one more time. It's customary at this group to give our speaker a limited edition coffee mug. How many do you have? 15 now? 100. Thanks. And we're going to introduce our secretary, Ryan. Alcoholic secretary. Hey. Uh, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of the chairs. If if you'd rather give through Venmo, you could do it that way. I've asked Amanda to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Amanda. My name is Amanda, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Amanda. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. 
If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. <clears throat> 1940-style Big Book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder of those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? If you could raise your hand. No? All right. Well, if you, was there a hand? What's your name? Um, all right, so uh, if anybody wants to see, it was N Nia? Nia. Okay. Awesome. If anybody wants to see Dia after the meeting, um, we'll get you hooked up with someone. Can the recovered alcoholics raise your hand? Awesome. So you're all available to sponsor, so see her after the meeting. Uh, if your hand was not raised, we suggest you hang out with someone whose was. We have some announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedule at the 12-step house. Does, is anybody here from BCIC? No? Awesome. If you need more information, there's some in the back. Uh, there's some volunteer opportunities. The next gratitude dinner planning meeting is going to be on October 21st, and I've heard that you can't go to the gratitude dinner unless you've participated in service for the gratitude dinner. Also, the intergroup planning next intergroup planning meeting is going to be on Sunday, October 15th at 2 p.m. at the 12-step house, and then the picnic itself is going to be on Sunday, October 29th. Um, Camp Crystal Clear uh, is raising money for that. So Recovery's Got, <laughs> Recovery's Got Talent is how they're doing that. Um, there's a special meeting at the 12-step house. We have Nancy coming up to make an announcement about this one. So let's welcome Nancy. Hi, Nancy Alcoholic. Thank you again, Peter. So um, we have a special meeting at the 12-step house just to really inform everybody what's going on. We have about six volunteers who do most of the volunteering at the 12-step house. It is a nonprofit organization, and the 12-step house um, has been an instrument that God has used to recreate and restore lives. So we're trying to get some more interest in it. They have a lot of... Um, financial obligations this year. If anybody's been there recently, they know that they need a new roof and different things. So we want to really get more people involved, maybe get some more events, fundraising, and just, um, you know, get some more fun and just kind of, re you know, reintroduce some life into it. Like I said, there's about six people that volunteer on a regular basis. And I think if you guys had a meeting where we all could congregate and get some more ideas and brainstorm, we need more membership. 
we need a lot more help from the community uh, to keep it alive and, and motivated. And so that meeting is going to be um, October 22nd at 1230 p.m. at the 12-step house. And if you want any more information, see me. Everybody's got my phone number and on Facebook. And I'm always at the 12-step house. Thank you. All right. Uh, next Thursday, we have a special guest speaker. It's going to be Stevie B. Uh, we have him for one night, so definitely come out and check that out. And then the week following that, we have Pat Rogan starting a 12-week series for us. Uh, so that's going to start on October 26th, and fellowship starts at 630. Um, and then Monday nights upstairs, same building on the third floor, we have our Monday night big book study. Uh, so we just started How It Works, so it's definitely a good time to uh, come check that out. And that's it. All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. If you're interested in any of that, just see any home group member. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. and all past speaker podcasts at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd again like to invite you to the Monday night Big Book study. It's upstairs in this room on the third floor at 715. And to those who'd like to thank tonight's speaker, you can line up down the center aisle. We're going to do the circle of prayer with the Lord's Prayer. So let's all uh, get in a circle. All right, let's, uh, let's take a, a moment of silence for the alcoholics still sick and suffering in and out of the rooms. Who can bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who art
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. This broken man I traveled far and wide. 
it's just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs and people sing along and stomp their feet and raise their arms. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah.